You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We've showed you the devotional track. So what we thought we would do is actually pick a couple. So we picked two different ideas, the two of the broad categories. And so I'm going to do a short devotional. And then Kate is going to share what that would look like with the kids um, in one of them. And then there's a second passage we'll look at. And then she'll share what that looks like with the middle school and high school kids. Um, and so t- right now, uh, we've picked actually a topic uh, for, uh, for this first segment here called Ownership of My Faith. Um, so it's out of that category. And again, I'm going to share a short devotional. Um, but the, the one passage we're going to look at that's part of that idea is one that's really familiar to all of us. I think most of us have been around church. Um, any length of time are familiar with John 3.16. And we put in verse 17 is, as well. But I've got some help this morning. Levi Bumgarner is going to actually read the passage for us. And you can follow along on the screen as he reads. Go for ahead. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 17. Perfect. Thank you. Let's pray, shall we? Okay. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, for just a chance to dig a little deeper into what you are saying to us and what it means to us today. Thank you for Levi and uh, just his ability and willingness to, uh, uh, to share this passage with us this morning. So, Lord, again, we commit the rest of this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Um, what's interesting, every, most people know th- that verse, can quote it verbatim. And, uh, but how many of you actually know the context of the verse? What's going on in this whole conversation or what's happening in this passage where we actually hear this verse? Most people, I'm not going to raise your hands or anything because uh, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but most people don't, don't recall the, the converse, what's happening. What's really happening here is this man named Nicodemus, who was uh, um, part of the, he was a Pharisee, so he's part of the religious elite, but he was also part of the Jewish ruling council. So he was up there. When it came to prestige and power and authority and influence, he was at the top. Nicodemus came to Jesus during the night so no one would see. He came, he came as kind of this clandestine little thing to actually meet and talk with Jesus. And so he's talking, and he actually, he, he says, he said, Jesus, we know that you're sent from God. No one can do the things you do unless they're sent from God. So he, he actually admits that and recognizes that. <coughs> and then Jesus goes into this very confusing conversation about being born again. And, and really, there's, there's really no transition. He, he says, we know that you're God. And he says, well, you, and it's like, wait, what, why, how did you get from here to there? What really, it, it just, it really fascinates me is, is that Jesus recognizes that Nicodemus isn't following him. He's not, he's not following up with me. He's, but he does nothing to help him. He actually he actually makes it worse by going on down the path and continuing on down this conversation about needing to be born again. And I kept wondering, why would Jesus intentionally try to confuse 
this religious ruler with this person, Nicodemus, who is actually coming and he wasn't opposing Jesus. He was saying, hey, I want to be on your side is kind of what he was saying. But yet, that's kind of how it ends. And Jesus, the John 3, 16, 17 passages in there and the, they, they, they really don't, the kind of, there really is no end of the conversation. The passage just transitions to something else. <clears throat> but why would Jesus do this? And, but what's interesting is that this is not the last we hear of Nicodemus. Further on in chapter 7, G- Nicodemus is actually the one who defends Jesus in the high council. There's accusations. They're all plotting how are we going to get rid of him, how are we going to do this? And Nicodemus actually steps forward and says, hey, we can't do this unless he actually has the opportunity to defend himself. So he actually defends Jesus there. Later on, after Jesus is crucified and dies... <clears throat> Nicodemus is the one who provides all of the ointments for the burial for Jesus. And so it's interesting, in both those other passages, the writer of John tells us that this is the same guy who came to Jesus during the night. So here's what I think. I think that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in the conversation with Nicodemus. He knew exactly what, he knew what Nicodemus could handle. He knew what he would understand I think he talked that way to Nicodemus because he knew Nicodemus would, wouldn't just go away. That his words would actually cause Nicodemus to think and to reflect and to really wrestle with what had been said. But here's the thing. I think Jesus does the same thing for us today. I do. I think that Jesus talks to each of us in ways that we will understand. He doesn't talk to me the same way he talks with you. And why does that matter? Because the verse we just read, it says, whoever believes in him. I'm convinced that the nature of our belief in Jesus, how we believe, the manner in which we believe in Jesus, is greatly influenced by the nature of our encounter with Jesus. That's how we understand that's the nature of our belief, is how we encounter him. Jesus comes to you in a way that is meaningful to you. He comes to me in a way that is meaningful to me. Jesus came to save the entire world, yes. But he also comes to each one of us in a manner that is unique to you and very unique to me. So that's a little devotional on how we would think about John 3, 16, 17. Kate, I suspect it might look a little different with the kids. Dueling stands. So um, for us, one thing in children's ministry that we're all about is memorization of scripture. Um, Another thing we're all about is repetition, and both of them include memorizing something. So for us, um, repetition is really good because uh, sometimes the Bible might be a little hard for people to read, for kids to read. Sometimes the a um, little intimidating because there's a lot of different types of literature within the Bible, right? And so I want to teach them, we want to teach them in children's ministry how to remember God's word. And so one of the things that we do that might look a little bit different here is we actually teach them a memory verse. So this for us would be a memory verse. Um, John three sixteen through 17, we actually just learned, I think about two months ago, um, John three sixteen. So the kids already kind of know that one. But the other thing that we, we do is we want to be very um, intentional about the voice verses we choose 
for elementary age. So typically we actually um, use an NLT Bible, New Living Translation. Um, but for this verse, because most people know it in this uh, translation, we use the NIV. And so, but we also use this verse because most people know this verse. So this is what we're going to do is this is actually a way that we teach the memory verse every, uh, every second Sunday, I think, in children's ministry is um, we're going to all read it out loud together. And then we're going to take away some words and see if anybody's brave enough to say the whole verse even when we've taken away some words. Does that sound good? Yeah? Yeah. So with children's ministry, the other thing, so you guys are all my children right now in children's ministry, is we interact. So I'll say, does that sound good? And then you guys say? All right, sweet. Okay. So um, on the count of three, let's all read this verse together. One, two, three. For God... So I'm not going to make you do this, but sometimes I make them read it in a silly voice. So there's that. Um, so let's take away some words and see if anybody can say it now. Um, kids, if you think you can say it, I want to hear it too, but also adults. All right, let's make it harder and let's skip so there's three lines gone. One more line. Okay, so I do I have one volunteer who thinks they can say it now. Levi, go ahead and stand up and say it loud. Keep it going. Awesome. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> Let's take away some more words. Anybody think they can say it now? Levi's super confident. Anybody else? All right. I'll help you and we'll say it all together. Okay. And if you need to look, pro tip, it's behind you too. Okay. Like the whole thing. Okay. So let's start on the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Awesome. Okay, so now let's take away all of the words. Anybody think they can say it with all of it gone? It's hard. Two verses. In children's ministry, typically only do one. So I feel like Levi could confidently say one verse. Can you say both? All right, go ahead. Awesome. That's really good. This kid. Awesome. So to us in children's ministry, memorizing scripture is super important. Levi, afterwards, come find me. 
I got something for you. Jane, you can also get a prize in the prize box for winning the game, too, if you want. Um, but so for us, it's really important that um, kids memorize scripture. So actually, we have one verse for the whole month. And after at the end of service, they can get a prize if they have it memorized by the end of it. Because uh, we just really want that word to be in their hearts. Um, so now to move on to the next part, um, we're actually going to stick on truth of Jesus for just a little bit while longer. So with the truth of Jesus and this idea of John three sixteen through 17, if I were to teach this lesson to a bunch of kids, I'm going to be a little bit more engaging than I, well, I don't know, I might be this way when I preach in general, but um, I'm going to teach it like I would teach it to some kids. So throughout the Bible, each passage, all of the prophets, it all points to one man. And that is the person of who? Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we learn about Jesus. And the Old Testament, they, they have, people are prophesying. They're, they're saying Jesus is going to come. They might not say Jesus. Most of the time they say Messiah. The Savior of the world is going to come. And so throughout the Bible, we learn about this man. And then one Christmas morning in Bethlehem, a woman is sent to a stable to give birth to a son. During this time, while this is all happening, there's two other groups of people who are hearing about this. The first is the shepherds. The shepherds are um, watching the flocks by night, and they see something big, and it's the angels are coming out to say, Jesus is born. Go find him. And then we hear about the wise men. They see a star in the sky. And so they follow the star until they find Jesus because each moment of history is building up to this one moment where Jesus is born because this one moment is going to change everything. So Jesus is born. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and they lie him in a manger. So they wrap him up tight because that's what you do with newborns, right? 70, right? Yeah. So uh, she has a cute little newborn back there. Um, And so... They wrap him swallowing clothes, lie him in the manger. This kid grows up. And does he make any mistakes? Does he sin at all as he's growing? No, because the one thing about Jesus is he is both man, but he's also God. He's the son of God, right? So he, he grows up, which I can't imagine a kid that you don't put in time out or you don't ground. You don't take away their screens. Like, what kind of kid is this? So um, he grows up. And one of the first stories we hear is he's about 12 years old, and him and his family go, and they're um, in the temple, and his family actually leaves them there. Does anybody have a story like that where they left their kids somewhere? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll just tell you, this totally happened to me as a church kid. My parents definitely left me at the church multiple times. I was also a middle child, which explains a lot about me. Um, And that's also why I was left at the church, because I was like, they have the other kids to worry about. So... They left him there at the temple. And um, so when they come, when they're like, you know, they realize he's gone and the panic they must feel at that moment. They run back and they're like, where's he at? And Jesus, do you guys remember what he says to them? This is actually in um, Luke 2.49. He says, I must be about my father's business. This 12-year-old is like, I must be about my father's business. And guys, that's what we need to be like. We need to be like, I must be about my father's business. This other stuff is not as important as this because I must be about my father's business. So then he, he grew up perfect. Again, he was fully man and he was fully God. And when he gets old, he uh, gathers around him 12 guys. What does he call those guys? 
disciples. He gathers around him 12 disciples, people just like us. Some of them were timid. Some of them were a little overzealous, maybe a little too excitable, um, overpassionate. Some of them were sinful. Some of them um, were liars. And he says to all of them, come follow me. It's what he says to us as well, come follow me. So they come and they follow him. They learn all from him, just like we can learn from Jesus in the Bible. The Bible teaches us. He actually taught them there. And so then these, uh, this story is told in, kids, I need your help with this. Four books in the Bible, this story is told about. What are the four? You don't tell me the names of the books, but what are they called? Like the grouping called. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, does that help? The Gospels. The four Gospels, Yeah. Thanks, Haley. Um, the four Gospels. And so in the four Gospels, we learn this whole story, and it ends. And this is the part that's really important that I want you all to catch. The story ends with Jesus dying on the cross. He died on the cross because what happened at the beginning of creation is that when Adam and Eve sinned, they started this whole thing where we all start sinning. We've all... Um, sin. We're all bent towards sin. And Jesus came to change that up because sinning is disobeying God. And so he said, I'm going to change this up so that, because what happens when we sin is we get separated further and further away from God. He says, I'm going to change it up by becoming that bridge so you're no longer separated. So Jesus came, he died on the cross for our sins, and he became the perfect sacrifice. Everybody say perfect. He's a perfect sacrifice. And then after he died, he rose again three days later, and he told his disciples, now you go tell others about me. You tell them that I am the only way to heaven, that I'm the only way to God, and change the world as my disciples. And so the truth of Jesus is this. Jesus, our, our God, came to earth. He sacrificed himself so that we could go to heaven. So that's how I teach it to kids. So one of the um, topics for ownership of my faith for the high school kids is I embrace leadership to influence my generation. Um, I thought that was just a great idea. And when I read that, the first passage that came to my mind is Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Um, And again, I've got some help. Um, Ethan is on his way up. Got the microphone there for him. So he's going to read for us Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, and you can follow along on the screen, or just sit back and listen to Marie. Go ahead, Ethan. Try it again. There we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Perfect. Perfect. So those of you who are familiar with that uh, passage, you know, that it actually is part of the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most significant talks given by anyone at any time in history. Profound things that were said by Jesus in this particular 
um, conversation um, and as he's having with the people there. I love those two metaphors that he uses, this idea of, um, they're so easy to understand, the idea of salt and light. I mean, how many of us have been at a meal and it's like, oh, it just needs something. We sprinkle on a little salt and, okay, that's much better. Or, um, and and so, the, 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 so we get that, that, that salt is, is, is such a very positive thing when it comes to, when it's used in moderation, I get that. Um, but it's such a positive thing when it comes to giving flavor and seasoning uh, to our food. Likewise, um, I think all of us have been in a dark environment. Sometimes you've been something, you know, we work in a dark room and you can't, you, know, you can't even see the hand in front of your face. It's that dark. And so we recognize that just in that kind of environment, even a little lighter or a candle, something very small illuminates the entire room. And so we get what, the, what he's trying to say. And even a little bit can make a really, really big difference. Notice here that Jesus is talking in the present tense to his people. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say you should be the salt of the earth or that you better be the light of the world. He wasn't trying to motivate people to be better. He was actually trying to help them realize what they already have. In his whole talk about the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling them about the, the new kingdom, God's kingdom that was now on the scene. And because of what God has already done for us, what he's already done, we are part of his kingdom. And as members of his kingdom, we are salt. We are light. So we don't need to be afraid. We shouldn't hold back. As we live in the manner to which we've been called, others will notice, and they too then will glorify God as well. Kate, what would that look like with students? Students, the difference is, and this is the difference between children is I, my, our goal is to teach students how to think, not necessarily what to think. Because if we teach them how to think, then as they're, they're moving on through life and they're going into college and they're going into the work world, they've learned how to think. And when new things come up that maybe we didn't teach them, now they've, they've conditioned their minds to figure out, okay, um, as a Christian. You know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent the second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians, um, and it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, <clears throat> so it was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we see in there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. They finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from 
being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to, to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and, and laugh at some goofy videos. And um, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who is feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So Father, we thank you again for this day. And Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. He wants us to stand out from the crowd a little bit. He wants us to act a little differently, not to be mean or, like, hurtful, but so that we can enhance him and enhance the love that he has for others. So how could we make this happen in our own context? So this is the the time of application. How can we make this happen? By being kind, by being loving, by, by, by being more aware of the fact that when we walk into the room, we have an opportunity to make a difference in that room by how we act doesn't mean you have to take charge in the room. It just means that you're more loving and you're more kind and and you you listen to the spirit when he tells you to do something, you do it, right? Um, And so I always like to, this this idea of um, ownership of my faith. Um, I right now rent an apartment in Mooresville. And, um, but before that, I actually lived in a parsonage. Um, My uncle's a pastor in Concord and I lived in his parsonage and I helped um, remodel it, which I had no idea what I was doing the whole time. It was awesome. But I helped remodel this um, parsonage so that it would be livable for us because the previous people were not good about keeping it tidy and clean. And uh, there was a lot of holes in the walls. But um, the difference between how I treat my apartment now versus that one 
so different. I didn't necessarily own the parsonage, um, but there was ownership in it because I was the one who helped remodel it. I was the one who was on the floor sanding the floors with that thing. I was like sore for, I don't know how you guys do it. Jan, how do you do this? Sanding the floor. I was so sore, you know, and I didn't, and then uh, putting a painting, we actually scrubbed the walls down before we painted and we had to put like 20 coats of paint because kids had like drawn all over the walls. Like because I had remodeled this house, because I was a part of laying down laminate, I was so much more careful in this house than I am in my apartment. Of course, renters, they have things like deposits and that they're hoping that will give you a little bit more ownership when you have money involved. But you, the way you treat something you rent versus um, something that you own is completely different. I'm totally fine with uh, taking my car back um, after I've rented a car if it has crumbs on the floor. But I hate crumbs in my own floor, right? So we treat things differently. Our faith is something that we own. We have the opportunity to make a difference by how we act, by choosing to live on purpose and not on accident, by choosing to spend time with Jesus, by choosing to walk into a room with intention. And that's how, as owners, we live versus renters. Thank you, Kate. When um, they first presented this... uh, little document in the, the discipleship track. I remember thinking, oh, this is so cool. But uh, the irony is I don't have kids in this. This, this affects me directly, not at all. Um, but I want to be a part of a church that thinks about this kind of stuff. I want to know that if I invite a friend or a neighbor and they have kids, that what they're getting has been fought through. There's some intentionality. There's there's, it, it, it makes sense as well as the quality. And that's one of the things I've appreciated about <clears throat> coming to Grace Covenant and being part of, of the staff here is the priority that goes to children and youth. Um, and it is, they get our best. Um, that, that, that's as far as time, investment, our personnel, talent as well. Um, because we think that's, that's important and that's a really a big value. So I was thrilled to that. And so as we were talking about this, the idea of being able to share this with all of you was just something we thought we need to do. We don't do this. Actually, we've never done this before. Um, but we just thought this was a good thing because of just some of the transitions, some of the things that are, are happening in that area. So many of you now are involved uh, in, the, in the children's ministry and the teaching area and things that we just wanted everyone to have kind of a big picture perspective on, on what's happening. So thank you, uh, Kate, for your time investing here and for Rose and for um, Ethan, and for Levi, for your help uh, today. Very grateful for your participation and uh, uh, for leading us uh, in the ways that you left or led us this morning. So let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, for the chance we've had to experience uh, the kids' uh, church and what they go through on a, on a weekly basis. And uh, Father, for the chance to understand a little bit more what what's happening in that part of the building every Sunday morning. So, Lord, I pray that for those of us who have kids in that area, it's, it's just a confirmation and affirmation of what's happening for their children. Father, for those of us who may not have kids there, may it be a reminder for us to be praying for what does happen in those rooms um, every Sunday. And, uh, Lord, for the different activities and events that happen throughout the week. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our families. And Lord, that we as a church want to be supportive of that in every way we can. So Lord, guide us. And uh, we thank you again for 
just the chance to be here this morning, to worship you, to celebrate you, and to acknowledge you in a way that might be a little different than normal, but Father acknowledges and worships you nonetheless. So Father, again, thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.